No one read my second book, really. I, I don't sell well. A writer no one reads. There's pretty much nothing less mysterious. From the Third Coast International Audio Festival in Chicago, I'm Gwen Maxi, and this is ReSound. And they had a picture of Britney Spears coming out of a restaurant in Malibu. How you doing, Britney? How are you, Britney? And she's holding this collection of very intimate things. Mm -hmm. And then she's got my second book. ReSound is a remix of music, documentaries, found sound, sound bites, and mysterious audio breadcrumbs we find all over the world. We listen to everything we can get our ears on, then bring you the best of what we hear each week on ReSound. So what do you want to know, Brittany, about your book? I do not like loose ends, mysteries, or unanswered questions. No, I like certainty and resolution which, as you can imagine, is often hard to come by. Take, for instance, the beautiful green-blue bar of soap that has sat on my dresser for well over a decade, maybe even two. I bought it at a tchotchke store in Oregon because when I smelled it, I was instantly transported back to my youth. The 70s are coming at you. 1973. But... And here is the crazy frustrating part. I can't pinpoint exactly what the smell is and who it reminds me of. It just whips me back to sometime between 1972 and 1977 and leaves me hanging, stirred but unfulfilled. Was it the smell of Mr. Sushinsky's aftershave when he was talking about the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria? Or was it the smell of a stick of incense in a friend's basement when someone threw on a little Marvin Gaye and I got to dance with Rashid Idris? I still don't know. But I keep that little bar of soap on my dresser, smelling it about once a week in the hopes that it will come back to me and the mystery will be solved. It's not exactly Stonehenge or Jimmy Hoffa, but you know, it bugs me. Today on ReSound, cracking the case, from a mystery involving Britney Spears and an obscure novel to a real-life murder most foul. Here's our first story from super sleuth Starly Kine. Why is there time? Every week I solve a new mystery. Why is there space? Mysteries that can't be solved online. Mysteries you can't solve yourself. Why are there dogs and cats and trees in the human race? Up until now, there hasn't been anyone to help with this. That person is now me. This mystery is from Andrea. She's a writer. Can you give a little background about what kind of writer you are? Yeah. I'm like a writer. I, I don't sell well at all. <laughs> well, her first book sold okay. People Magazine wrote about it. Then Andrea's second book came out. It was called To Feel Stuff. No one read my second book, really. Um, it didn't do well commercially, and it didn't get really reviewed or coverage. You, and you don't see people carrying it around or reading it? Never. Is it face out in bookstores or is it? No. <laughs> I mean, this is the thing where I would go and like try to buy it at a bookstore, you know, like I'd be applying for some kind of fellowship and so I'd need a copy to send and I couldn't. I couldn't get a hold of it. A writer no one reads. There's pretty much nothing less mysterious. But that's not Andrea's mystery. So I have a Google setting for myself because <laughs> I'm a Kardashian. Mm -hmm. <laughs> As do I. It's important. Yes. And I got a Google alert one morning in 2008 from this website, and they had a picture of Britney Spears coming out of a restaurant in Malibu. And she's exiting the back door of the restaurant, and there's kind of paparazzi in it. And she's holding this collection of very intimate things. Mm -hmm. Her pack of cigarettes 
and then her phone pressed to the cigarettes, and then her lighter. And then she's got my second book. And I, I just lost my mind. I really went nuts. When I get really, really excited, I don't know what to do with myself. I, I, can't, I, like, I can't believe I have a body that I have to be responsible for. Like, what do I do? What do I do? And I just started emailing everybody I knew. I don't know if I've been this level of excited that many times in my life. Were you ex- as excited when you had your baby? No. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Do you like Brittany? Yeah. A lot. And this is not just since you saw her with the book. No, no. I got into her when she was dating Justin Timberlake. There's just this picture that I always have of them in my mind where they're wearing matching denim outfits. I don't know if you've <laughs> ever seen this picture. Like, just full head-to-toe denim. And she seems really, really happy. And this is my guy. And we're so much alike. We're even wearing denim together. And then just knowing that, you know, later she cheated on him and she broke up that relationship and supposedly has been pretty upset about that event ever since is just really interesting to me. And then he went on to be so respectable. Yeah, but I still find her to be the far more interesting of the two. Like him, I would want to have nothing to do with, but her I would love to talk to. Unless he has a current email address for her. The idea of her having an email address... You're making her seem like she's more of this world than I believe she is. Like, I just think... You don't think she has email. She just is... <laughs> it's hard for me to believe. She has email. I like to imagine that she has, like, secret personality email where she can just go on Facebook and be a secret person and interact with people not as herself. Facebook account. That I can believe. Maybe she's one of these, like, weird people who keep liking pictures of my baby who I don't know who they are. (laughs) And it's just Britney Spears. (laughs) I'm sending you this picture right now so you can take a look at it. I examine the photo of Britney holding Andrea's book for clues. Britney herself only makes up one little corner of the photo. She's walking through the back exit of the restaurant, surrounded by men with cameras. Paparazzi tend to work in a triangle, with the celebrity at the center and a shooter on three sides. That way, when the celebrity turns away from one camera, they're facing another. And when they turn away again, they're facing a third. In the photo, Brittany is wearing a white dress that Andrea read with one she wore a lot while pregnant. Brittany's not pregnant in the photo. She gave birth to her son a few months before. But Andrea understood why she was still wearing the dress. She also wore her maternity clothes for a while after having her baby. It's so crazy to think that you know something about a celebrity that you don't know. But I've always had this distinct sense that she's probably an introvert. And I really identify with that. Because you, cause you are an introvert. Right. I think she likes performing and she likes that aspect of her job. But she really hates everything else. This is like one of the pictures that we see of Brittany all the time where she's like coming out of the 7-Eleven holding a slushie or a candy. <laughs> she's not usually carrying books at all, right? No, and this she took out to dinner with her, and it was, <laughs> it was dinner with her parents. They were celebrating her mom's birthday. And that's her dad? That's her dad, who's her now legal conservator. He very much kind of manages her life. You know, he's in charge of her finances and in charge of her decisions. Do you think Brittany maybe brought it to dinner with her parents because her parents are always giving her a hard time about not reading enough or, like, no. not... <laughs> no. That's a very firm no. I don't feel that way at all. She doesn't look very happy, and this is kind of the era where I think they started maybe discussing the conservatorship with her. So I think she might have been angry with them at this point in her life, and so maybe she was just reading through dinner <laughs> while her parents tried to engage with her. So what do you want to know, Brittany, about your book? I want to know how she got it. Mm-hmm. And then I really want to know if she liked it. And if she didn't, I'd be open to hearing her critique of it. (laughs) But if someone could kind of get these answers for me, you know, I'm not a person with a lot to offer materially. But, um, 
you know, I would like do anything for them. <laughs> if anyone could bring me close to this, we could strike some sort of deal. <laughs> like I'm offering. Sounds <laughs> like I'm offering sex, which I'm I'm not not. But um, yeah, I think my boyfriend would understand. He knows how badly I've wanted to get an answer to this. So this case boiled down to two things: a book and a person who is seen carrying that book. The person was one of the most notoriously unreachable celebrities on the planet. I decided to start with the book. Was Andrea's book really as unknown as she made it out to be? She wouldn't be the first broad to lie to the person she was asking for help from. Would it really have been that hard for Britney Spears to just stumble onto it? Thank you for calling the open book at Hi, um, I am calling about a book. Okay. I'm calling about the book To Feel Stuff. Say that one more time. To Feel Stuff. What is it called? To Feel Stuff. To Steal Stuff? To Feel Stuff. Um, hmm. Not seeing it. No? No. Have you ever heard of it? Uh, I haven't, no. What do you think it's about based on the title? Probably stealing. Even though, but it's to feel stuff, not steal. Oh, okay. What do you think it's about if it's called to feel stuff? Um, feelings? <laughs> Thank you for calling the book world and fun like this. Christina, how can I help you? I'm looking for the book to feel stuff. Okay, to feel stuff. Yeah, to feel stuff. It's kind of a weird title, huh? We've had weirder. Oh, yeah? Like what? Well, there were some good ones a couple months ago. Mm. Let's see if I can find a good one. Okay. Um, never surrender to a scandal. That's not too bad. It's um, so true. Never should. <laughs> In your wildest Scottish dreams. The echoes of Scotland Street. Oh, are that, is that the same person who wrote the Scottish... Dreams one? No, it wasn't the same author. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a lot of ladies like to go to Ireland and Scotland to hear the accents and everything. Uh-huh. So they think all the men over there are probably really sexy. Is that your type? Do you like the Scottish type? I like the accents. Okay. But I actually went to Australia and I had an um, Irish bartender. That was really fun. Wait, you were in Australia and the bartender was Irish? Yep. That's a story. You once had a bartender who was Irish. <laughs> I don't know what it is about the Irish accent. Here's but a thought. What if you went to Ireland and then you probably would hear the accent all over the place? I would die of happiness if I went to Ireland. <laughs> really? So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the dream place to go. Because of the accent only? Well, no. I want to see the land, like all the castles and the fairy circles and just a bunch of other things that go on over there, too. Did you say fairy circles? And I want to drink. This is an attainable dream. I think you can go. You went to a much further place. It's much harder to go to Australia. Well, it was good because uh, my uh, my mom actually won the lottery, and we have family up there, so we didn't have to pay so much for hotels, and it was easy to get flights because my parents won the lottery. <laughs> Wait, how much of a lottery? Like the big lottery? Uh, they won a million dollars on the Powerball a couple of years ago. Seriously? Yeah. Me and my ex-boyfriend were sitting with my mom at their in their couch, and I showed on the TV that there was a million-dollar winner from Chilton, Wisconsin, and my mom's like looking at the numbers they're putting up, and she's like, hey, this is the numbers they usually play. She actually had got the ticket, and she looked, she made us all read through it, and then she called my dad. The first thing that they bought with their money was a lawnmower. But, she, but if your mom wins a million dollars and you have a dream... Well, yeah, but the thing is, it's a dream that I want to attain myself, and I don't want to use my parents' money. I want to be able to save for it because I'm an adult. You're very responsible with your dreams. Well, you know, if you just ask your parents for everything, and then when they cut you off, you won't be able to do anything for yourself. But you said that the book To Feel Stuff by Andrea Segal? Yeah. We wouldn't actually have it in the store. Was there anything else you needed? No. I mean, there's a lot of new things that I have questions about, but you've definitely answered my original question. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the odds of finding a bookseller whose parents had won the lottery were better than finding a bookseller who'd heard of to feel stuff. 
Andrea was right. Her book had tanked. I crossed that item off my list and stared at the next one. Find Britney Spears. I quickly eliminated going the official route. Britney's manager said no to an interview. I would have to enlist the help of civilians. You'd be surprised how many people you pass every day on the street who have a hidden connection to Britney Spears. One it turns out they're very skittish about revealing. A friend who worked in fashion slipped me the email Britney's stylist, along with a note that said, you didn't get this from me. Another friend knew her former bodyguard, who stopped responding to my friend's emails as soon as Britney's name came up. A flurry of tips poured in from an internet forum I posted on. One message I received read, Britney is supposedly marrying my husband's first cousin. I don't know him, and they're all crazy. We'll inquire. Inquiring meant getting word to the supposed husband's Auntie Mary, who had neither a cell phone nor email. The message arrived to Auntie Mary by, quote, basically carrier pigeon. And from there, the trail went dead. Herein lies the paradox of Britney Spears. She's impossible to talk to, and yet her every movement is tracked. In 2008, the year Andrea's photo was taken, Britney was the number one celebrity search on the internet. 50 to 100 paparazzi members would follow her wherever she went. Even now, when she settled into a more domestic life, with lots of time spent at home with her two young sons, paparazzi still photograph her on an almost daily basis. It is because of this that my path forward is now clear. If I can't arrange a meeting with Brittany, my only hope is to run into her in public. And thanks to the crazy amount of paparazzi photos out there, I actually know the place where that's most likely to happen. The mall. Or to be more specific, the Oaks Mall in Thousand Oaks, California, a few miles from Brittany's house. She's been photographed here hundreds of times. Brittany at the Oaks Mall with nice coffee, Brittany at the Oaks Mall with her kids. Brittany at the Oaks Mall in a dress that makes you go, she looks good. Brittany at the Oaks Mall in a dress that makes you go, whoa, she looks good. The photos of Brittany at the Oaks are always taken in the parking lot, never inside the actual mall. I soon find out why. The minute I pull out my recorder, a security guard approaches me. So to do the interviews and everything, um, we just need to talk with our management real quick for okay. the mall itself. Uh, do you know where they're at? No. Um, there's an elevator right across the way here. If you go down, right when you come out, you'll see the management office. Just go back there and talk with the receptionist. Okay. Feeling like I got sent to the principal, I find the management office and tell them I'm working on a beat the heat story. They tell me there's no recording of any kind allowed inside the mall. Everyone in the mall looks like her. Everyone in the mall has seen her. Poor girl, says the Starbucks guy. She can't even leave her house without being mobbed. The last time he saw her, he wasn't even able to see her. He just saw the crowd of people around her, blotting her out like a dust cloud. She loves the attention, says the Cheesecake Factory waitress. It was just so obvious. For example, one time, Brittany received a call in her cell and walked outside to take it. Why would she do that if she didn't want photos taken of her? The waitress says she never would have done that herself. She hates when people stare at her. Her wedding had been very small, with only 50 guests. She's so nice, says a top shop sales clerk. His coworker nods slowly and adds, and tan. They've met her mom. They have opinions about her boyfriend. They lead me to a sales rack and pull out a romper with straps across like an X and back and show me the tag. There's a tiny B drawn on an ink with a circle around it. B for Brittany. This is what she tried on when she was last there. It was on her actual body. They also show me a blue crop top that she bought in another size. The salespeople say Brittany loved the top so much she wanted to wear it out. They told her they had to remove the security tag, and she draped herself across the checkout counter so they could do so. One of the salespeople lays his own body down to demonstrate. I buy both the romper 
and the top. I told my client about all the promising leads I'd run down and how all I had to show for them was a lousy crop top. Just kidding about the lousy part. I'm actually wearing it right now. Have you guys ever looked into, like, seeing if she's been photographed with other books and what kind of things? Oh, no, I should. Let me text that to Eric. I text one of my investigators, Eric, back in the office. So we want to ask him, can we do a search? Can we do a search on other books Brittany's been seen reading, if any? Okay. He used to be a Brittany fan. I was going to, we have, like. He used to be. mm, Sorry. It took 30 seconds to send the text. It took 30 minutes to convince Andrea that Eric had a lot of other good qualities. Look at this. Okay, so Eric just did a quick search and he said she was on a read poster telling kids to read Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Well, but, she yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she also read Line Witch in the Wardrobe. The, the next two are no surprise to me. Yeah, the next ones, I actually hesitate to even say out loud because it's, <laughs> it's, it's a little bit, it seems like a little bit of a barb against her. Power of Now and the Secret, Force Whisperer, My Way, The Four Agreements. That's got to be religious. Yeah, yeah. Taming Chaos, sounds like self-help, Pride and Prejudice. So she reads fiction. Yeah. Eat, Pray, Love, Candide. That is a curveball. That is. (laughs) (laughs) But look, she's always seen holding books. 100 Years of Solitude. Yeah. Like, they're never in her bag. Right. Now that I see she carries around books a lot, I feel more like she read it. Because... If it was just that one time, then I would be more likely to think that, like, it was just something that got foisted on her that one time. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's a thing she does. She yeah. reads. Back at headquarters, there's a development. It comes in the form of an old lead that's been regifted as a new one. It's only got 64 views. It's um, a video of the very so night that Brittany was seen holding Andrea's book. How do you know it's from the same night? Well, because this, she's wearing the same clothes as in the picture, and it's the same white dress. Um, it's her dad. It's her dad. It was posted on YouTube by a member of the paparazzi. Even though it was filmed in 2008, he only posted it last year. The photo with the book was just a captured instant, frozen in time. The video is all the other seconds that followed. Brittany. Come on, Brittany. How are you, Brittany? Brittany is leaving the restaurant with her parents. The throng of paparazzi is so thick, it seems possible that she's being carried by them to the car, that her feet aren't even touching the ground. If you watch this video and don't feel sad, you're not a good person. Once inside the car, Brittany places Andrea's book on the seat beside her. Her mother holds up her coat in front of her daughter and keeps holding it there until the car drives out a frame of the video camera. It reminds me of putting a sheet over a birdcage so that your bird can get some sleep. The video and the photo were taken at a restaurant called Paradise Cove. Eric tells me that Paradise Cove is also where Brittany shot her music video, sometimes, in 1999, when she was just 17. Suddenly, it felt like the whole case had been cracked wide open. Of course they came back here for her mom's birthday. They probably wanted to rekindle the memory of simpler times. Why would Brittany bring a book to dinner? She wouldn't. Someone at the restaurant must have given it to her. I drive to Paradise Cove. As advertised, it's a little slice of you-know-what. But not only does the staff not know anything about the book, none of them had ever even seen Brittany there. I ask everyone I see. One of the waiters who'd been there forever asked me what day of the week the photo had been taken. And so I pull out my phone and scroll and scroll and scroll through the calendar app until we arrive at March 18th, 2008. Oh, yeah, that explains it, he says. That was a Tuesday. I don't work Tuesdays. And then does a quick poll of the busboys. Have any of you ever worked a Tuesday? They all shake their heads no. Not only was Paradise Cove a bust, it made me feel grossed out with myself. 
I was becoming part of the reason Britney Spears didn't want to leave her house. As much as I wanted to find her, I didn't want to be someone trying to find her. The only option left was to get to her the most old-fashioned way of all, by paying for access. Britney Spears is now 33. For the past year, she's been doing a residence in Las Vegas for her Piece of Me tour. It's been hugely successful and is being billed as her second act. You can buy tickets to that show. And for more money, you can also purchase a meet and greet. Meet and greets are a standard part of a pop star's tour. The prices are all over the place. Miley Cyrus's cost $1,000. To meet and greet Rihanna or Kanye, it'll cost you 10 grand. Put in this context, meeting Justin Bieber is actually kind of a steal. Just $650. Britney's meet and greet cost $2,500. The exact sum that it looked like it was going to cost me to solve this case. I was going to maybe try to buy these Britney Spears tickets and then one of those security things that you have to enter the phrase. And it's a Robert Frost quote that you have to complete. I asked another one of my investigators, Melinda, to look into the tickets. You have to know the next line. Yeah, it's multiple choice. (laughs) I knew it was hard to get to Britney Spears. But this was ridiculous. The options are swear not by the moon, for you tread on my dreams, five is right out, violets are blue, shivering sweet to the touch, and then the last one is I took the one less traveled by. It's got to be that I took the one less traveled by. But I feel like the shivering sweet one less touch, Now I'm not saying that's the option, but that's like really good. (laughs) I kind of feel like swear not by the moon would be quite nice as well. I have a feeling like we might be timed out at this point, but should we try it? We hit purchase. We chose right. It was done. One VIP meet and greet at Planet Hollywood Las Vegas. I would spend Valentine's Day with Britney Spears. Immediately, a confirmation email arrived that informed me the event countdown was on. I would be sitting in row A, seat 14, But there wasn't any information at all about the meet and greet itself. I needed to know how long I'd have with her, whether it would be enough time to ask Brittany about Andrea's book. Thank you for calling Ticketmaster Fan Support. Are you calling about an existing order? Yes. Now you can say, change my delivery, refund my order. Or you can say, it's something else. It's something else. Okay, please hold while I transfer you to a representative. Hi, thank you for holding. This is Dennis with Customer Service. And may I ask who I have the pleasure of speaking with? Starly Kine. And how are you doing, Miss Skyly? Um, Starly. Um, I'm good. How are you? Oh, Starly. It's okay. It's a hard one. It's kind of um, hard to get your... Once when you see it, it's like, oh, yeah, it's just like Starly. But, yeah. I see that you do have uh, one ticket for the Britney Spears, February 14th at 9 o'clock at Planet Hollywood in Las Vegas. This is for the VIP meet and greet package. Everything that comes with it. Yes. Can I ask you a few questions about it? Uh, yes, ma'am. I, I only know so much information, but what were we calling about it? I was wondering, do you know how many, how long I get with her? Um, I don't actually have that information, ma'am. Okay. Do you think maybe I could bring a book that she would sign? Yeah, I wouldn't be able to guarantee it. If you had to guess a genre of book that Britney Spears would read, what would you guess? Hmm. This is what I'm going to ask her when I go. Cause I, get, I think I get one question. I would think you would get more than one question. I know, right? For that amount of money? Yeah. <laughs> no, I know. You can say it. We can all agree this is a crazy amount of money to spend on this. Yes. Yes. I do believe you actually have like the the best VIP, if you would. Oh, okay. Uh, so that means it would come with the most amenities and everything. So maybe I get two questions. <laughs> Quite possibly. <laughs> Don't quote me on that. <laughs> okay. So if one of my questions is, I want to ask her about this one book, but then what should my other question be, you think, if I get two? What, what do you want to know? Hmm. Maybe like uh, something about her success, to see if success changed her or if it's helped her. I mean, because I mean, I've, I've seen some of the stuff from the media, and, and I know like 
Like, cause she started off, you know, like real successful and like like a role model for some people, or if you would. And then, um, you know, she's kind of had like that downslide, and and then she kind of like picked herself back up, and now she's kind of like rising back up. So I would kind of ask her like how it feels to be like that uh, inspiration that like you know you can mess up and make mistakes and then go and change the way your life is. Do you have role models in your life that, that inspire you? Um, sort of. I mean, my mom would probably be the closest one. I mean, she did raise me and all my brothers by herself. I have six brothers total. And, and you know, my dad passed away when I was like five. Oh, really? Yeah, so she had to raise all of us. She had to work like two jobs and worked a lot. And when we all reminded her of my dad and, and she loved my dad. And it takes a toll on you losing someone like that. Do you remember him? Um, slightly. Like, I remember, like, playing games, like, dogpile and stuff, and, and a couple of things like that. You guys must have had a good dogpile if there were so many of you, right? <laughs> yeah. Are you the youngest? Uh, I'm the second youngest, actually. So you were pretty close to the top of the dogpile. Or the bottom. How does it work? The little ones get all piled on, right? Yeah, it's just a random game. Sometimes you're at the top, sometimes you're at the bottom. <laughs> That's kind of like Brittany, right? Sometimes she's at the top, sometimes she's at the bottom. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> it's like maybe life is just one big dog pile. Wow. Did I just blow your mind right that there? That's pretty deep. <laughs> yeah, I was like, wow. <laughs> okay. That is... Are you being sarcastic or do you mean it? It's pretty deep. Oh, no, for real. That's, uh, I didn't even think of like how that applied when I said that. Sometimes you're at the top, sometimes you're at the bottom, and then you know, it refers to everything we were just talking about. I, like, I don't really think this applies to customer service. <laughs> I, I like to ask questions. I got that feeling. <laughs> I mean, that, that's a good thing, because, I mean, you're curious, and, mm-hmm. you know, more people should be curious about other people and just not focus on themselves. I mean, I believe that like, the purpose of life is each other, because... If everyone cared about everyone else, then nobody would have to care about themselves. I mean, when I was younger, I got in a lot of trouble. Um, you have to be the kind of person that you would want someone to be attracted to. That's true. Because if you're not, even if that person's attracted to you at first, if you don't believe that you're worthy of that person, they're not going to stay interested. That's, that's my problem right there. In the you, don't, you don't think you're worthy? Um, in a sense, no. You are. You have to believe that. Yeah, but I've made a lot of mistakes, too. Who hasn't? I think you think you're not going to get happiness, and so the only way you're going to be able to feel stuff is it's sad stuff. Yeah. Uh-huh. You can get addicted to a certain kind of sadness. And what about you? What about me? What about you? <laughs> You don't have any of those problems. I have all. I've done. I've. I do have those problems. That's why I'm able to talk about it because I feel like I can. I can relate. There's plenty of times I don't feel worthy and I say mean things to myself and I lose perspective and I get depressed and I totally understand. Mm. Everyone does, and that's why. That's why you have to start little bits, telling yourself, "I am worthy. I do deserve that. I'm just as good as the other person who's getting it." And so you just have to like trick yourself. It's like subliminal messages to yourself. Yeah, act as though there's like commercials flashing at you that 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 just keep being broadcast. I mean, you're awesome. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, I've worked here for about eight months, and this is the most interesting home I've had <laughs> ever. <laughs> ever. Ever. <laughs> oh, so so you like go around changing other people's. You know, other customer services representatives' lives, <laughs> different companies and stuff. Uh, <laughs> um, Is that what you do in your free time? Like, <laughs> oh, I don't want you to. Let me go change someone's life. <laughs> I just want you to feel worthy. Is that too much to ask? I'll be the first person to tell it to you, and then you can take it from there. <laughs> Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Okay, Starley. Well, you take care, right? Okay. I hope you do have a, a great time seeing Brittany. And do you want to take a survey, like, like three questions of my service? It does actually help me out a lot. Oh, totally. Please answer the following questions on a scale of one to six. 
Based upon your experience today, how satisfied were you with the overall service provided by this representative? Very satisfied. Do you think that our representative was helpful? Yes. Thank you for completing this survey. Our goal is to provide world-class service to every customer every day. On the morning of February 14th, I flew to Vegas to meet Britney Spears. On the night of February 14th, I called my client from my hotel room to tell her what had happened. Hello? Hello. <laughs> I had, like, so much anxiety. I was like, if Starly was really excited, I would sense it. Well, okay. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, no. Well, walk me, walk me through it. Like, tell me what you wore. <laughs> because it was Valentine's Day, I'd had to book a hotel far from the Strip. It didn't feel like I was staying in Vegas. The lobby didn't even have slot machines in it. The concierge called me a cab. I was anxious to get there on time. Everyone was checking in, oh, and like wow. a whole flood of tourists came into that time. <laughs> and finally the cab came, and then I got in the car, and he was like, how are you doing? And I said, I'm a little stressed. And he said, why? And I'm like, I'm on my way to meet Britney Spears. And he's like, well. Actually, I had her in my taxi. You did? Yeah, when she was just a kid. How? 12 or 13, about 12 years ago. Very, very, very nice girl. Total sweetheart. Very respectful and just, you know, how are you? And you enjoy yourself here in Vegas and da 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 da. And all enthusiastic and still like a kid. You know, figured maybe a kid like that, you know, maybe a little snotty or whatever. Mm -hmm. Not even close. Not even close. Very, very nice. Oh. And he'd have <laughs> Magic Johnson and. <laughs> Keeper Sutherland and Brittany in his cabin. She was his favorite. Well, of course. All right, sorry. Bye. Bye-bye, Thank you. And then I got there. Are you here for the meet and greet? Yeah, just go right Gave the ticket, and I'm like, I'm here for the meet and greet. And then and the girl's like, you're going to have such a good time. It's so fun. Okay. Thank you. Thanks. And then I, it was packed. Like how many people? Well, all together, I think there were 50 people by the end. That's a lot of people. It was nuts. And I only had one friend in this whole thing who was this like entrepreneur whose husband had got him, who had told him he was doing this meet and greet minutes before he did it. Bye guys, have fun. See you soon. Like it was a surprise to him? It was a surprise. Like they flew here from New York to do the to go to the show and then the husband was like, here you could do a meet and greet. When did you find out? Five minutes ago. What? I was like, let's back it up. I can meet with the spirits. <laughs> Everybody just move, move in so you can hear me. And then the woman who hosts the tour, her name is Fee, and she's... Is it Felicia? Yeah, Felicia. Yeah, it's her. That's like a long-time sidekick. Felicia's very fascinating. <laughs> How much is Fee getting paid to like be the warm-up guy? Felicia, or Fee as she tells us to call her is a family friend of Britney's from back home. It's hard to tell Fee's age. Even in 2004, when she was featured on Britney's reality show, Britney and Kevin, chaotic, she seemed neither young nor old. Around the time of the Paradise Cove photo, Fee and Britney briefly parted ways. As Fee explained on her personal website, there's just so much you can do to help a person. I cannot love her enough for the both of us. During their break, Fee became a flight attendant and a substitute preschool teacher. Fee's dressed in a Dickies jumpsuit, like the kind auto shop mechanics wear, except they've been specially hemmed into shorts. The words Team Brittany are bedazzled on the back. It's a uniform she's designated for herself to wear, a uniform she loves. We're taken out onto the empty stage so we can get a sense of what the world looks like through Brittany's eyes. It looks like rows and rows of audience seats, with lights so bright, you can't see any faces. Next, Fee shows us where Britney's dance outfits are kept. She wants us to know we'll have to go up several flights of stairs. Just when you think you're there, she says, you're not. Tell me about it, I think. The wings that Britney wears during the song, every time, are Fee's very favorite prop. One of Fee's very favorite fun facts 
is that the wings are made from hundreds of hand-cut silk and cotton feathers and that no birds were harmed in the process. It's right about now that it becomes apparent we have all paid $2,500 to hang out with Fee. We're led into a parking lot. Fee says she will now demonstrate how the meet and greet will go. She will play herself. A security guard will play Brittany. She stands in front of him, smiling cheerfully, and says, Hi, I'm Fee. Hi, I'm Brittany, says the guard. Fee laughs and tells us, Yes, sometimes Brittany may say who she is, even though you already know. But the important thing to remember is that Brittany doesn't know who you are. I'm sorry, says Fee, but it's true. You are a stranger to her. We are not to touch Brittany. We are not to hug Brittany. If we feel a hug coming on that we cannot stifle, we are to hug Fee, not Brittany. Fee loves a good hug. We are not to make any sudden movements when we meet Brittany. If our hands are in our pockets and we discover that we'd prefer that they weren't, that's okay. All we have to do is let someone know, and then we can take our hands out of our pockets. Slowly. So slowly. And then Felicia said, you're going to go in there. Brittany's very shy. If you seem scared, she will seem scared. So try to make your energy not communicate that. It's like a f***ing animal at the zoo, you know what I mean? (laughs) It's like if you're quiet, the koalas will come down. But if you make noise, it's crazy. I wait for Fee to get to the part where we ask Brittany our question. But that part never comes. So I raise my hand and ask if we're going to be allowed to actually talk to Brittany. Fee says there won't be much time. But if we have something to say to Brittany, we should say it. If I'm not a girl, not yet a woman helped us in our time of need, then by all means, we should tell Brittany that. And then that was the entire demonstration? Wow. We form a line. They're a TSA-style bin set up that we have to put all our stuff in. And so the the actual meet and greet happened on the stage. I didn't picture it like that at all. I thought it would be like in a blank white room. Totally on the stage. And so there's a screen. That's so... uh, So you can't even see her while you're waiting for her. No, you can't. She's behind the screen on the other side, but you can see the silhouette of Brittany. <gasps> you can see the shadow. And you're, like, watching everyone go up. And I can time it. And I'm seeing, like, three seconds, three seconds, three seconds. Just, like, taking the picture, taking the picture. There was no chatting happening. Oh, God. Two people were in front of me, right? And I was going to be my turn in two people. And then it was my turn. And so I see her. <laughs> I walk across the stage. You must be so nervous. I, I just feel like I have a much stronger purpose than everyone else. Right. Like my friend was like, I'm not going to tell her. Like he had just found out he's doing a meet and greet. <laughs> and so you go up to her and she immediately like faces the camera. because She's just expecting a picture to be taken. Right. And I go, hi, Brittany. I'm Starly. <laughs> <laughs> and then she smiled and I said, look, I just have to ask you. And she kept trying to turn to the camera like, but I go, look. My friend wrote this book called To Feel Stuff, and you had a picture taken with it in 2008. Do you remember this book? Oh and, she literally, and she and she looked at me really hard, and she goes, I think it rings a bell. And I'm like, <gasps> it's like a ghost in an infirmary. <laughs> she goes, yes, <gasps> yes, I remember it. What? And I said, how did you hear about it? And she goes, my assistant gave it to me. Oh. <laughs> and then I said, and then I said, did you like it? And she goes, Yes. And then she turned to the camera and she said, I loved it. What? Yes. (laughs) I'm dipping upside down in my chair. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Britney Spears' Piece of Me. You feel like it was genuine? You feel like she wasn't just telling you that because she was telling you that? I know it was because I talked to everyone else and she didn't give anyone anything. All of this just makes me, like, love her, honestly. That, like, she doesn't turn it on for people or she can't turn it on for people. It's sword in the stone, you know? Like, only a valid person can pull it out. Yeah, pure of spirit, true of heart. 
Miss Spears wants each and every one of you to have the night of your life and would like to encourage everyone to get up and get out of their seats and dance until the world ends. It's showtime. That was Brittany from the podcast Mystery Show. It was produced by Starley Kine, Alex Bloomberg, Eric Mennel, and Melinda Shopson. This is the photo. Oh my god. <laughs> Her face just really killed me. This picture is amazing. Of course, what we love best about Mystery Show is the side conversation Starley has on her way to solving the mystery. Like in this case, the lottery-winning bookseller or the ticket guy who is existentially unsettled. It's all about how you get there, right? Like Starley Kine, The Great Columbo, and Encyclopedia Brown, you don't have to be an FBI agent to solve a mystery. In our next story, in fact, it's the next-door neighbor whose theory may be critical to the case. Here's Phoebe Judge with Animal Instincts. So I'm running, and I actually lowered the brim of my hat, and about 20 seconds later, I felt a scratch on my head, and then my hat disappeared. And so I turned around just to pick up my hat and to note the branch that I had just grazed, and there was no branch and there was no hat. And I actually thought that maybe wind from a storm had lowered a branch and it had got caught on another tree, and maybe it was up higher, so I looked around. There were no no trees with branches that were candidates for that happening. It was a dense woods. And for about six or seven minutes, I looked everywhere I possibly could, and I couldn't find my hat. That's Jeff Polish from Chapel Hill, North Carolina. He didn't know it at the time, but he may have just had a brush with death. A woman lying dead on the floor, in a pool of her own blood, at the bottom of a staircase. There's blood everywhere, a lot of blood, on her hands and feet, and splattered up the walls of the stairwell. Her name was Kathleen Peterson. She was 48 years old. She worked as an executive and was described as very successful. Her husband, Michael Peterson, was a novelist. Together they lived in a very large, historic home at 1810 Cedar Street in Durham, North Carolina. Michael Peterson says that the night before his wife's death, they'd been drinking wine by the pool, late into the night. He says Kathleen went upstairs to go to sleep, leaving him alone out by the pool. The next time he saw her, she was bleeding to death and unconscious at the bottom of the stairs. He called 911 just before 3 a.m. Um, 911, where's your market? Oh, 1810 Cedar Street, please. What's wrong? My wife's had an accident. She's still breathing. What kind of accident? She's still on the stairs. She's still breathing. Please, come Is she conscious? What? Is she conscious? No, she's not conscious. Okay. Please. How many stairs did you what? fall down? However, the medical examiner said the cause of death was not a fall from the stairs, but blunt force trauma to the back of her head, as though she'd been beaten repeatedly with something heavy like a fireplace poker. Michael Peterson was indicted for his wife's murder. From the start of the trial, it was clear the odds were against Peterson. Back in the 80s, Michael Peterson had been the last person to see a different woman who had died from blunt force trauma and was found at the bottom of a staircase. He wasn't charged with that murder, but the parallel was a key part of the prosecution. His motive to murder Kathleen, they argued, was that she'd found out he was having affairs with men. Plus, there was a $1.5 million life insurance policy at stake. A blood analyst testified that Peterson had attempted to clean up the scene. After a five-month trial, Peterson was convicted and sentenced to life in prison without parole. Michael Peterson's next-door neighbor had been following the trial very, very closely. His name is Larry Pollard. 
You'd think after a trial like this, Peterson's neighbors might try to keep their distance, to disassociate themselves from the story. Not Larry Pollard. Larry Pollard lived on the same street as the Petersons and was a good friend. He's also a lawyer. So as evidence was presented in court and subsequently entered the public record, Larry Pollard began studying it. Why? Partly out of curiosity, partly because he thought he might see something other attorneys had missed. He was looking at a list of items from the crime lab. On that list, items of clothing, blood samples, and something jumped out at him. An owl feather. A microscopic owl feather had been found in a wad of bloody hair Kathleen Peterson had in her hand. Larry Pollard went to the police and said he had a theory. Here's how it works. Kathleen Peterson went outside for some reason, maybe to take out the trash, and was attacked on the head by an owl. She reached up to touch the part of her head where the owl had dug in with its talons, and a chunk of her scalp and hair came out in her hand. She rushed inside and fell just as she reached the foot of the stairs, knocking her unconscious. That's where her husband found her bleeding. Larry Pollard was laughed out of the station. Two local newspapers somehow got wind of his theory and ridiculed him. But he didn't give up. And at his insistence, some of the evidence was re-examined. And he says they found not one, but three microscopic owl feathers. I asked Larry Pollard if we could meet. I didn't see him at first, as he was walking down the hallway. All I saw was the stuffed owl he was carrying. Its wings spread four feet wide, mounted on a wood block. And then I saw the styrofoam head. I went to a, I was getting my haircut one day, and I saw a, a mannequin of a head that they had a wig on top of the mannequin. So I picked up the, the styrofoam head so that I could demonstrate. Then a little while later, I found out that... Um, 90% of all owl strikes to human beings are to the head, and they're to the right rear corner of the head. Now, why, we don't know. Uh, but they are to the right rear corner of the head, 90%. Uh, and that's where these wounds were. So uh, when you take um, raptor feet and you put them on the styrofoam uh, head, it demonstrates what it looks like. And, uh, and in this instance, the wounds kind of match up with uh, where these, uh, the right rear corner of the head, where this would have taken place. Remember, Larry Pollard isn't a scientist. He isn't a detective. He isn't even an owl expert. He's just a lawyer, not even Michael Peterson's lawyer. He built an elaborate theory around microscopic owl feathers, and he's become kind of obsessed with it. Owls are the, uh, one of the only birds in the world that have microscopic feathers that go all the way down their legs, down their toes, uh, on their feet, all the way to the talons. And they look like little fibers, not feathers like you're thinking, but fibers. Uh, so when I found out uh, that uh, I said, well, maybe we should go back and see if there was any specimens or that if it left a kind of a calling card and sure enough when they attack they will leave uh, certain pieces of evidence behind them uh, that can be readily identified. In addition to the feathers Larry Pollard says the shape and depth of the wounds on Kathleen Peterson's head thought to have been caused by a fireplace poker could also have been inflicted by the sharp talons of an owl he showed me on the styrofoam head. There's more. Cedar needles were found on Kathleen Peterson's hands and body, indicating she had fallen over outside her house, and footprints in her own blood indicate that she was already bleeding from the head before she reached the foot of the stairs. I have to say, it's hard to believe, straight up, that an owl can injure someone so badly they die. I'm sorry, it's, that's hard to believe. I certainly understand with you and I shared that uh, same feeling at the time. I said, how could this possibly have happened? Not everyone is ready to get on board with Larry Pollard. He was speaking there to writer Roe Hume. 
The public, a lot of times they will uh, misjudge or rush to judgment or whatever, and you have to understand that as a lawyer. And that was what motivated me to keep on looking and searching and trying to find out the, the real cause and not be scared away by people thinking that I was some kind of a, a nut. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, it did hurt my feelings a little bit, but it only made me that much stronger and, uh, and determined. It was surprising to me, though, how quickly everyone wanted to label me as a, uh, a bird man from uh, outer space, so to speak. But the truth is, it does happen. Owls do attack people. There was a whole rash of attacks in Maine a few years ago. John Holyoke is the outdoor reporter for the Bangor Daily News in Bangor, Maine. He says some of the people who were hit had wounds on their scalps. They said they felt like they'd been hit over the head by something big and heavy. Well, you know, and it was really weird. We had never heard anything like it. And what we found in 2009 was that there was a great horned owl uh, that had nested near the trail. And it was coming out at night. Uh, nighttime cross-country skiing was a big hit that year. And there were people out there in perfect uh, skiing conditions with headlamps. Uh, and when they got near the, where they determined that this nest must have been, the great horned owl would come swooping out of the darkness silently and hit them in the head. Uh, I think we had like eight reports uh, in about a week span, five of them in one day, uh, where skiers were out there and didn't hear anything, and all of a sudden their their hats are off their heads and they're, they're <laughs> thinking they're being attacked by something, in which what they were. Uh, the biologists all said that it was owls. Uh, a couple of people did actually spot the owls as they swooped away. Uh, and then we had another report that same year of uh, a mile away on the same path of another owl that was uh, uh, staking its claim and uh, was attacking people. I felt a scratch on my head, and then my hat disappeared. And remember Jeff Polish. He was running not far from the Peterson home. Here's Larry Pollard again. There's instances in the literature of where owls have driven their talons into steel, believe it or not. There are other instances of um, owls having attacked wild deer and bringing a wild deer down, I mean, pulling them right down on the ground uh, with their talons and their wings and force. So uh, don't be misled into believing that these are sweet songbirds that are you know, incapable of, of hurting you. They can hurt you. As far as we can tell, Michael Peterson's lawyers don't seem particularly interested in the owl defense. They declined to comment for this story. And it's hard to blame them. They're already up against so much with the parallel murders and insurance policy issue. But if ever they were to consider the owl defense, the time might be now. After a series of appeals, it was determined last year that a key witness in Peterson's original case, the blood analyst who described how Michael Peterson tried to cover up the murder, that analyst had actually lied about his qualifications. He was fired. And after eight years in prison, Michael Peterson's life sentence was vacated. He's living at home again, awaiting a new trial. It's a complicated case, but if you're defending Michael Peterson, you don't have to prove that an owl did it. All you have to do is create the possibility that Michael Peterson didn't do it. So we may never know. But Larry Pollard is still talking about owls, convinced he solved the crime. Animal Instincts, from the podcast Criminal. The story was produced by Phoebe Judge, Lawrence Borer, and Eric Mennel. You've been listening to ReSound from the Third Coast International Audio Festival in Chicago. I'm Gwen Maxi. The program is produced by Dennis Funk and curated by Johanna Zorn and Sarah Geis of the Third Coast Festival. Support for ReSound comes from Emma, a web-based email marketing and communication service helping businesses and nonprofits manage their email campaigns and online surveys in style. More at myemma.com. 
The Third Coast International Audio Festival is a nonprofit arts organization made possible with lead funding from the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation and the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation. Additional support is provided by the Riva and David Logan Foundation and the National Endowment for the Arts. The Third Coast Festival is supported in part by a grant from the Illinois Arts Council Agency. Special thanks to our many individual contributors from Chicago and around the world. The Third Coast Festival, now an independent arts organization, was originally founded at WBEZ Chicago. ReSound returns next week with more radio that you can't hear anywhere else unless you live everywhere else.